Hey, everybody, and thanks for listening to Starting a Record Label. This podcast is about me starting a record label. Yep. Anyway, today I get to talk with music lawyer Ben McLean. We talk about recording contracts, the good, the bad, and the ugly about those, and we talk about how content's kind of changing in the music industry. Ben's worked with Katy Perry, Glee, 311, Nine Inch Nails, and a ton more. If you go to our YouTube channel, we are doing all the podcasts on YouTube right now since we're recording this all through Zoom. And uh, behind him, you just see all the gold records. It's pretty insane. Lawyers aren't usually on YouTube. And if they are, they're either like really stiff ones or they're like the funny ones. Uh, They're diagnosing movies and law stuff going on in movies. But Ben's actually got quite a bit going on on YouTube. And I really enjoy a lot of the insights he has into the music industry. He's probably the person that I'll be going to uh, when I need to get a contract written up. But until then, thank you. I want to thank you all for listening to this podcast and helping support us. Over the last few weeks, we've gotten quite a bit of bump, and I really am really happy about that. Um, one of the major things you can do to help support us is to share the show on social media. That's actually really helps us grow the most, and it ensures we keep moving forward and making more of these. Tag the show, no matter where you're on Instagram, whatever else, we're all over the place. Starting a record label is the tag. Uh, not today robot tag them too so that we can get more artists interested in possibly signing with us finally if you are one of those artists please head over to nottodayrobot.com to send us your band's info but without further ado and i know we all say that a lot ben mclean how's it going over there while i'm at it yeah it's a nice day it's, it's a, um, i'm in the office i've i've been staying at home and working since the you know the whole shutdown started but i come in once a week to my office just to get the mail. So Thursday is the day. So that's why I'm here. Yeah. I can imagine you could probably do most of that stuff at home, right? <laughs> well, you can, but it's, I mean, the reason we've always had an office is because people wanted to come in for meetings, you know, so we haven't had a meeting here sure. in two months. I mean, I don't know if that's going to change considerably when things kind of ease up a little bit, but we'll see, you know? Yeah. I mean, they were the other day they were talking about things not easing up and then all of a sudden I see news things like, Oh, they're easing up. And I'm like, Oh, Okay. Well, they are, and it's just I don't know how people are going to react as far as wanting to be around other people or if they're strangers, especially you know. Because a lot of times, a lot of times with people, well, it's just like you. I'm talking to you now over the internet. I mean, most people I work for, I don't even ever meet really. It's just phone, email, or mm-hmm. video conference, or they might be in Europe or whatever. But you know, local people still want to come in sometimes and meet. Yeah, I'm a mixer and engineer, and yeah, I haven't had a call for like two months. <laughs> <laughs> so when do you when do you think it's gonna be um i mean do, do you think people want to start coming in and doing like face-to-face kind of productions again soon i think they will once it kind of eases up i think here california for california we're a little touchier but uh obviously across the other nation the nation people are opening up or whatever i don't know how smart that is or not but uh, are you are you able to do what you need to do remotely for the most oh part? i can mix at home all the time yeah so I've done I've actually done a few a few mixes, but there's nobody recording a lot. So yeah. <laughs> oh well. Well, I think the labels had a lot of stuff. The the releases really haven't slowed down, so they must have had a lot of records that were in the pipeline, you know, ready to go. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I had a friend, songwriter. He was uh, in the White Tie Affair. They were signed to Epic for a while, and I was like, I hey, I, I think I did a podcast a couple times ago, and uh, he, the lead singer is one of my best friends from high school. And I was like, has, has it slowed down a little bit? And he's like, actually, there's a lot more for songwriting right now. It's kind of weird. If you're yeah, if you're a writer, I think uh, because mm-hmm. they want to make sure there's a lot of artists that don't write their own stuff or they do it as collaborations. So I think they want to have as much material ready to go when 
everybody's ready to record again, you know? So the hits yeah, yeah. are ready. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, you know, I think the, there's obviously been a, a some somewhat of a slowdown, but mm-hmm. I see it more in like the film and the TV business really, because it's harder to make those kind of productions remotely than it is a track or something, you know? Yeah. I'm a uh, comic nerd. So like, you know, watching all these, the what things I've been super excited for slowed out. I'm like, no, <laughs> Well, then no Comic-Con, no Comic-Con. Exactly. No WonderCon, no Comic-Con, no comic book movies. It's, oh. <laughs> Did you, have you ever been to Comic-Con? We could never get into Comic-Con. Yes. Okay. Uh, I got into Comic-Con a few, gosh, probably two years after the first Avengers movie. So that was almost 10 years ago. Was it but, just the, the traditional way you just signed up on the internet? Because yeah. you either do it that way or you have some kind of in or you're connected to somebody that's there, but we've never been able to get into it. Yeah, you either could be uh, listed as like, I'm sure it's a with everybody on the internet now wanting to be a blogger and everything else. Uh, it's harder to get into the press way, but there is ways to get in there, but it's, it's really hard. You got to sit in like a waiting room. You got to make sure you got other friends doing it at the same time. It's, it's kind of annoying at being there. I don't like going there anymore. Cause it's just, it's insane. It turned into pop culture con. So it was mm-hmm. kind of, you know, when Glee was there, it was kind of like, what? <laughs> Why is Glee here? Yeah. Well, it's just like, um, k-rock you know this the rock station yeah you're out here right you know they i was just reading they just had a lot of changes in their staffing and now they're playing like ariana grande and post yeah. malone they never would have done that because the new yeah, that's the weird. new pro- program director is like hey we have to bring in some some modern music here you know <laughs> yeah i imagine radio is kind of suffering <laughs> but oh well uh, oh, yeah, 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 you're right. Like, ter- terrestrial is, mm-hmm. is definitely, and I guess, and I guess Sirius XM I was reading is not doing as well because people aren't in their cars as much. Yeah. yeah. Did you see the Joe Rogan thing? He's signed with Spotify? Yeah, yeah. That's he has big. a pop for his like, podcast, right? Yeah, for his podcast, but like, you know, they're pushing so much for podcasts on Spotify, but they signed him kind of a little bit similar to uh, when they had Stern on XM. Yeah. Yeah, well, they'll, they'll, yeah, I heard it was for like what, hundred million dollars or some crazy number like that. I mean, I guess he has a huge audience. You know, some I don't know. I'm not yeah. really a podcast guy, but he obviously is one of the top guys to get a deal like that. He I is guess, the guy. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty it's amazing. I mean, that world. that's that that's one of like you were talking about income streams an artist could maybe tap into. Obviously, you can start your own podcast, but if you don't have a lot of people viewing it. You know, there's really yeah. not much money that's going to make off that. But look what he did. It's pretty impressive. So uh, let's go ahead and get started. I'm sure we could probably even use a little bit of that or from earlier. But uh, I'm just going to, for for you and for everybody listening who might be tuning in the first time, uh, this is a podcast about kind of me just journaling my walk to trying to start a record label. And I'm sorry. I'm having all different kinds of people on. I've had different, you know, uh, actual record labels on. Uh, I had an accountant on, you know, songwriters on. Just just uh, asking music people in the industry, especially since we've got a slowdown right now and I can't do a lot. So just talking to people in the music industry. So I wanted to ask, uh, what necessarily does a music attorney uh, and why are they different from a traditional attorney? They, uh, I, I mean, I call myself an entertainment attorney these days because it, it's really media, you know, music kind of overlaps with video and film and television and fashion and all those kind of things. But 
but I think somebody that focuses on music primarily like we do, I mean, it, you're just dealing with the contracts that relate to the music business, record deals, publishing deals, management deals, agency deals, um, the, you know, these, anything that has to do with YouTube and all these other things are all kind of connected to music now. It's big, you know, so somebody that focuses on that, I think, because otherwise if somebody says, if somebody's like a bankruptcy attorney that maybe does a little bit of music on the side, well, they're probably not an expert in it because they don't focus on it. So, I mean, I've spent many years just learning the music business and kind of focusing on that, but then things sort of evolve and kind of are connected to it. And so you have to become an expert on those things too, uh, that are media related. But, uh, but I, and I think most music attorneys also don't go into court. They're not suing. They're not like litigator mm -hmm. litigators. Usually they're more like what you call a transactional attorney, which deals with contracts primarily. That's the, so that's, that's, that's kind of, you know, there's, that's how I would describe it anyway. So, but you'd want somebody that kind of has expertise in music. If you're going to hire a music attorney, not that just says you they, don't they do it. want your uncle. Yeah, well, you know, not just somebody that just says they do it in a whole laundry list of other things that they do. Like where well, I'm a divorce attorney, I'm a criminal attorney, I'm a music attorney. Well, <laughs> you can't be, you can't be an expert in all those things. I don't think. That's true. So, uh, what kind of contracts, uh, kind of do you generally deal with then like just to give you know regular people understanding uh, a lot of, i mean a lot of uh producer deals there's tons of producer writers out there cutting tracks developing artists that you need a piece of paper every time you're you're working with somebody if you're a writer producer mixer there's rights involved there's money involved so there's a lot of that there's a lot of management agreements there's a lot of managers out there that want to work with new artists which is great of course, there's not a lot of money in that when you're working with a new artist at first, unless they blow up. But, you know, these days there's the potential to blow up and go viral with some with one song. It happens like Old Town Road or something like that. You know, that became the biggest song of the, uh, ever at number one. And it was just the guy's first song, <laughs> you know, and it Seriously. broke off TikTok. Yeah, it broke off TikTok. So, I mean, and record deals, publishing deals. I've actually been doing a lot of record deals recently, I'll, even in this whole COVID thing, but more smaller, more independent kind of things. I mean, I think the majors still sign, but they don't sign as much, you know, because those are usually much bigger deals and there's a lot more involved with that. You know, if you're investing a couple hundred thousand dollars in an artist, they're a little more selective and picky. But a lot of independent labels by just, you know, the budgets are smaller, the, you know, it's not as much of a risk and, and, but the, there's no shortage of labels, strangely enough, you know, so that's good. Cool. How, Is that you uh, saying how you want, you're saying you're starting a label yourself? Yes. Okay. Okay. And, so, and who do you, who do you pattern yourself after? Who would, what would be a similar kind of label that like you would well, want yours to be like? My idea is since I've done podcasting and I'm a producer engineer in general, I thought that, uh, and I've done some YouTube and whatnot. I thought that, that I could try to roll it all into one. And I don't know, like, I know it's going to be really hard to figure it out eventually, but, and I don't know if it, maybe it's going to have to be some kind of uh, deal that includes YouTube streaming, I'm sure. And other, other revenues. I want to have as many revenue channels as possible to support not only the artists, but the label itself. Okay. And it's going to be, it's going to be a hard thing to do. I'm assuming. <laughs> well, I, not necessarily. I, th I think with a label, you just have to, if it's not just you, you have to sign the right talent. Yes. You know, that, and, and that, that's a whole different conversation. But, and then how much talent? Because you can only handle so much. 
I think. At, yeah. At the beginning, I'm only going to do one, uh, just okay. to, to start. And obviously this, this podcast is kind of chronicling that, that process, uh, looking at bands right now, but so you're uh, looking yeah. for a band. You're looking for a band. Okay. A I'm rock looking band. for more rock music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like that industry has kind of dipped a little bit. Also, it's a little near and dear to my heart, even though I've been kind of I've been in like pop and rap <laughs> forever. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm glad. I like rock. You know, yeah, but yeah, labels aren't signing as much of it, and there's not as much radio. That's for sure. Yeah, I feel and like tour, a lot of and it's a very tour. It's a very tour touring dependent genre. You know, which right now kind of sucks. So. Yeah, I started this podcast at the beginning of the year and I was hoping to be out looking at artists by now. And so I'm like, now I'm just scouring like Bandcamp and things and seeing what kind of artists are doing social media, which surprisingly, a lot of them are getting back on the train. I normally talk about how they kind of suck at doing that, uh, rock artists in particular. Uh, that they yeah, just that's, been, that's been my experience too, That, but I think they've been forced into it. I mean, I certainly would recommend any client to get on social media, do live streaming, anything you can do to show that you're a real band, you know, but and a lot of bands like I don't Goldfinger has been putting out a bunch of videos where they got all four guys and, you know, the split screen, but you know, that they did a re- you know, really some really cool videos. It's very energetic. It's like, you're right there in this, in this show, you know? Yeah. The uh, Feldman did a really good job with all those videos and he just keeps kind of putting them out. And then the other day they had Tony Hawk uh, talked about redoing the first two video games, which had huge impact on the music industry. Those, video games with the soundtracks blew up those artists mm. even bigger than what they were. So uh, they actually, he got a billion, I don't know how many actually views, but because of that release, they went back to that Superman song that was on all those, all that long time ago. Oh, wow. That I didn't, I didn't even hear about that. That's mm. That's great. I mean, you know, people are doing things and not just not doing things. So that's yeah. the key. I think you just have to find some way to get your, keep your name and face out there. Yeah. Truth. Uh, so let me get back here to see if <laughs> digging into my questions here. Uh, how often, uh, or sorry, let me go. How, at what point should an artist, uh, or a label kind of get a contract drawn up? Do you talk, you talk, do a lot of talking beforehand with the artist and then at what point do they come in? Uh, well, I think anytime an artist is being offered some kind of exclusive type of an agreement for long, certainly for a long period of time. And if there's some money changing hands and some rights changing hands, you never should get something in writing, something for a little more formal than a napkin, you know? So it's just too important. So, and I think most people, you know, most labels I know, most artists these days will at least consult with an attorney before they sign something, not everybody, but you know, Mm. uh, and I don't think it's wise to try to draft up your own agreements necessarily. I mean, you can find things on the internet, but the problem with that is they're always incomplete. Yeah. You're always incomplete or people are like, you know, trying to jam things from different things. It just doesn't really fit sometimes. So it's, I think in the long run, it's actually better to, to use a professional agreement, a professional lawyer over in the big picture. You know, you might think you're saving some money or whatever, but I, I think a lot of times you cause more problems by trying to cut corners. Do they poke holes pretty easily into those uh, randomly mushed? Uh, they in they can. Well, that's, that's only if you ever get into a litigation situation and you've been, I mean, that's, that's the risk you run. You know, if you, if you have some vague, something vague in your agreement or ambiguous or something important is left out or it contradicts, you know, that could be a big problem, you know, if you ever have a dispute. But a lot of times it's up to a judge to figure that out if it's not black and white, you know, which it usually isn't. Yeah. And that's, that's, uh, a, lawyer's, that's a lawyer's job to try to kind of make things as clear, clear as possible. You know, even, and I mean, I think it's 
plain language. I mean, when I draft an agreement, I'm making it in plain English. I mean, I could make it real complicated, but there's no point in that. I mean, make it so everybody can understand it. Well, this isn't at the point for kind of everyone to be on the same, you know, on the same you know, playing so that they know what everyone's expected of everyone, right? Uh, I, I think so. But I think historically people were like, oh, this lawyer drafted that agreement and they couldn't understand what it said because it's like written like a Shakespearean book or something, you know, and they're just like, well, you know, the lawyer drafted it. It must be say what it's supposed to say, you know, we'll just sign it, you know, but I, I that's not how we do it. And maybe that's old school, but that's, but if you look at some older agreements, sometimes from the seventies, eighties or whatever, they're, you know, a hundred pages long. I can't even understand it. But I think, I think you know, things have been are, are more simplified now. How often do you run into bad ones today? Bad all, contracts. The, all, all the time. Cause there's still people that try to, like I say, cut corners and think they can do it. And then they have an issue later or they just, or a lot of people are just excited. Young artists really excited to sign something. They don't know if it's good or bad. They're just excited that somebody wants to work with them. So they'll just sign on the dotted line. And then later there's problems. And so I spent a lot of time getting, trying to get people out of bad deals or trying to renegotiate bad deals, you know? So yeah, that happens quite a bit. Cool. What are some things that like artists or labels would, should look out for uh, when, you know, being involved with each other? <laughs> Well, I think it's always important. I mean, to me, you should always try to be fair to both sides. I mean, you could take advantage of somebody, I suppose, but I think in the in the end, that kind of blows up in your face. Um, so, but you want to protect yourself. You know, if you're a label, you want to sign the artist for as long as possible and get as much product from them. Probably keep as much of the income as you can, you know, and and then, and make it exclusive so they can't make records for other people if you're the artist it's just the opposite you want the shortest term possible you want the biggest split of the money possible and hopefully you have freedom to maybe do things with other people or have creative control final say over your art you know your images the songs that are going to be put out cool. things like that you know not try to give away every income stream to a label and a label is going to want to try to get a piece of as much as they can because obviously mm. streaming doesn't generate that much money necessarily and cds sales are kind of way down so it's like a label is usually going to say well if we don't get a piece of merchandise touring publishing branding influence, whatever that is ad revenue we can't really support to support you we can't promote you it's not worth it so have contracts then kind of changed in this, in the streaming era, like with TikTok and Twitch and YouTube, do they now include some of those, some of those other revenue streams? Have you seen that? Yeah. Well, if it's kind of like what you said, a 360 deal that would encompass any money an artist makes from their mm-hmm. career. But you know, a label has a legitimate argument if they're promoting the artist that, you know, might uptick their TikTok numbers, their YouTube numbers, more people know about them. So they go there. So mm-hmm. If they're generating ad revenue or subscription revenue off that, why shouldn't the label get a slice of that? I mean, that's their argument. The artist is probably like, well, hey, you know, hands off of that, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, so let's try to, and you can, those things are negotiable sometimes, but, and that's all to be a lot of times money. There wasn't that much money made off those platforms unless it was a huge, you know, huge buzz artist with lots of followers and people watching it, mm-hmm. which happens, you know, sometimes with TikTok now. Yeah, but I mean, TikTok's it's that's a whole a different, lot. you know, a lot of the TikTok, uh, I mean, I guess more artists are getting on there because I know bands in town just did a joint venture or something with Twitch, Twitch. So, you know, there's a lot of 
all these artists that can't tour are doing these live streams through Twitch. But, you know, used, used to be you really weren't making any money off your live streams, you know. So, and then, you know, the numbers had to be massive on YouTube before you see any ad revenue. And it seems like a lot of TikTokers are still these teenagers doing these silly dances. So, mm. you know, because yeah, my- it's only like 15 seconds or something. So I'm not quite sure, you know, it's almost like a novelty thing, you know. So, I, I mean, I, I, a lot of that's yet to be determined, I guess. What's, but it's great exposure, no doubt about it, you know. Yeah, my platform. daughter's friends all do TikToks, and so like they're always like got their silly phones out or whatever, you know, doing just hilarious songs. And yeah, they can, but and and I guess an artist sure cert, certainly could do that too. But it's just like a, it's like a little snippet, you know. So it's really just to promote you or keep your name alive, I suppose. But if you're making money off that, that's a video, and you know, usually when you do a record deal, uh, it says audio and video is controlled by the label, and they get to monetize that. So that's considered a video. So I can see why they yeah. probably expect some a slice of that revenue. There's been a lot of artists that have been blowing up from it too, which is crazy. Like someone, uh, I can't remember who it was, uh, Chris had talked about in a former podcast, an artist who made a song like four or five years ago. That song, just someone started using it and it blew up on TikTok. And now that artist is not kind of blown up on TikTok. So that's kind of Well, it, it, it can, but I mean... Not, I, not I, the norm, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, that's the thing. Sometimes there's these like one in a million kind of things versus is, it the, is that how they're going to promote acts? <laughs> maybe i mean i think it's going to be part of the marketing scheme now to be on all those platforms yeah as opposed to just radio and just touring or just what was considered mtv at one time which i guess is youtube now <laughs> yeah that's exactly what i'm kind of looking at doing is you know i have all this uh trying to jump into youtube a few years ago i have all this camera equipment all this other things and so i'm like hey you know i i have a lot of knowledge about this situation uh let's try to produce some artists and get them doing a lot of video content and everything else. Let's see where they can kind of get in and see if that works. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially, I I mean, if an artist isn't making video content, then I think they're, they're probably not a real artist. You know, I mean, these days that just should should be second nature. And it is for some young artists, Mm -hmm. some of these artists that have blown up on the internet, they just, a lot of them through cover videos or whatever, they were just, but they're cranking it out. They're cranking yeah. out content. All and even if you're a TikToker, you're you know you gotta crank those little videos out like every day, you know, to develop a big audience. I mean, it's, so it's got to be somebody super devoted to exactly to, to committed. Yeah, that's the one thing is you know part of this talking through the podcast is like the the artist, the first artist that I sign has to be a million percent committed to this because it's going to be a lot of hard work, especially with video. A lot of the bands that I've worked with in the last four or five years and I've tried to get them like, Hey, you know, work on your social media, work on your YouTube, get involved in Facebook ads because it's really easy to target the people that you want to. I actually upped this podcast 260% last week after using Facebook ads for like, you know, a week and a half. And it was only like 50 or 60 bucks. So it's good. But how did you, how did you know who to target on that for the ads? Uh, what I did, uh, it's a lot a lot to go into but partially what i did was you, you kind of find people that are similar that you know for music especially for me you know different bands that i thought would be close to people that would want to be signed to me and so i'd go through and put five or six different kinds of ads also find different you know different videos see what would work best so you just test everything you test it a bunch of times and then eventually kind of they even have settings inside of it that shows you what's the best out of your testing so you're like okay well this video does really well people want to click on it and people clicked on it and then they clicked and listened to the podcast and they actually subscribed too so it's kind of crazy okay well that's great news man hope that continues 
to go up. Yeah, me too. Uh, I don't know where I was going at the beginning of that, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, or just artists like a lot of the bands that I worked with in the past. They just they'll release their music, whether it be on Spotify or YouTube. They'll hold do a whole record. They always want to do a giant record, and uh, and then they'll release it all. And then a year and a half, and they'll, they won't do anything, or you know, they'll do sparse social media posts. And like, where am, why am I not getting anywhere? You know? Yeah, it's different. Well, you know, I grew up a lot in the days when bands would put out a record every three or four years, and then maybe they'd do a tour to support that, but then they'd go off for two years and make another record, right? And make another record, and they, there was no social media, so they just yeah. disappeared. But that was fine audiences kind of expected that and there was always somebody else to fill the gap and now audiences expect constant interaction from the artist so it's, it's harder to be an artist now probably you really have to be on it 24 hours a day you know? yeah. so, and i know a lot of artists are like wow i just want to make music i didn't know i had to be a marketing guru but you know it's great if you're on a label and the label helps you with that or a manager helps you with that which by the way if you're going to run a label i suppose you have to be prepared to you know jointly do a lot of that too, yeah. you know, cause, um, but I, but yeah, you certainly don't want to expect the artists to have you do it a hundred percent or vice versa. It's a, kind of a partnership. Yeah. The only thing I'm concerned about, cause obviously I'm going to have to take a lot of management roles or whatever to, as well. A lot of different hats for this, especially at the beginning. The only thing I'm concerned about is I know that there's a, that I can't personally book them shows, I think. Is yeah. The thing. Then you wouldn't, yeah, don't, you wouldn't do that anyway. That I wouldn't get into that world. That's, no booking yeah artists can do that on their own but things like helping them i mean helping them get exposure and promote them that's mm -hmm. partially your job as a label i mean that's to me that's the only reason you'd go with a label i think there's yeah there's a law that says you can't you can't book shows if you're not a licensed talent agent and that's true so that mostly managers have issues with that because a lot of times if you're managing a new artist and the artist is young they just assume the manager does all that for them but you know you're not supposed to um, and by the way, that's only in California. If you're in Kansas, you can do it. But if you're a manager and you're booking paid gigs for your artist, you can get a lot of trouble for that. So you shouldn't do it. That's true. That's what I said. I was a little worried about that. <laughs> like, I don't need to step into this. Yeah, but if, but if you're a label, you normally wouldn't do that. And if some artist expects you to, that's an unrealistic expectation because I don't know any labels that do that. Yeah. So like in the age of kind of in the age of Spotify, are labels actually getting bigger because of this or smaller or staying about the same? What do you think? Uh, well, the majors, you know, the Warner, Sony, Universal, they're, I mean, they're kind of staying the same size as they always have. Although a lot of times they've gotten where they are by absorbing other companies, absorb, absorbing smaller labels. But, uh, but I don't know if the sizes are changing, but I'm noticing a lot of independent labels that are out there, especially on a, in an international sense. You know, there's labels coming from everywhere, South America, Europe. They're all competing in the U.S. marketplace, too. And a lot of managers I know are starting labels because they don't want to, because, you know, you, everything's digital primarily. You don't necessarily need a big record company to help you with that anymore. You know, you can release stuff yourself if you, but you have to have some kind of internal system where you at least have some marketing campaign going on, social media. Somebody's yeah. got to administer and oversee that. Don't, like I said before, the only thing I, the advantage I see of a label is, <laughs> Our bigger label is, are they going to put money into you, you know, your marketing? Because mm -hmm. if you can't, you know, if somebody's going to put $100,000 plus into marketing, hey, that's a lot of money, you know. Most artists I know don't have that. Yeah. But, but, but you can do a lean and mean campaign like a lot of people do for hardly anything. It's just smart, being smart about it. 
Yeah, knowing where to spend the money at. <laughs> knowing where to spend it and when to stop and, you know, but, uh, but I just think there's a lot of independent labels I'm seeing popping up. They're doing much more fair deals too. Maybe it's just singles or an EP or something. You know, when you sign with a big label, they want to sign you up for four or five albums, you know? Yeah, I think uh, especially with what I'm going to do, I'm, we're definitely going to focus more on singles. Obviously, with the social media aspect of it, I'm I'm hoping that we can do some like writing live on uh, YouTube and whatever else. Kind of have the the audience help pick the songs, maybe record a song and produce it, and you know, video even vid- do video for the recording. You know, just all in one kind of package, and we're put like a song out a month. But just putting one song or one maybe maybe two a month. It just all depends. I, EPs, I feel like it's just too much, or, or albums even. Yeah, well, it's just, it depends who you are as an artist. If you're Taylor Swift, people are going to expect an album eventually from you. But she's got the audience yeah. for it. And she actually has a, even uh, physical stores will stock her product where, you know, if, if you're not a big name like that, there's nobody, they, you can't stock your CDs anywhere. Yeah. You know, and I don't know, I, I'm, and that's one thing. I'm, I mean, you know, there's places like Amoeba, independent places, but they're shut down at the moment. I'm assuming they're coming back soon. But I mean, I, I think, think a lot, I think moving. They are moving, yeah, but I, I, but I think a lot of the small, the tiny, tiny, you know, because I work with a lot of indie rock bands, and they were selling a lot of vinyl yeah. on the road and in these independent record stores, but some of the tiny ones, if they're out of business for two, three months, I, I think they're, they're out of business, you know, that sucks. Yeah, I wonder what's going to happen to the indie record labels. I mean, there didn't, wasn't Indie Record Day almost? Uh, it was supposed to be in time? April. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if they postponed it. It was in April. I think they may have postponed it. Record yeah. day? They may have postponed it. That's one of their big things a year, and I just, you know, I wonder how they're going to actually keep up. I know the big, like Amoeba is kind of a big place, but, you know, we've got little places all over. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I'm just hopeful that people are somehow going to be able to tough it out and people will go back and support it. And, and may, But I, you know, a lot of people have found ways to market things and sell things online, but it's not, it's not the same. You know, when you go into a record store or at least some of those, you, you kind of want the experience of like touching it or flipping through. And I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's sort of like when you talked about Comic-Con or, or whatever, it's just sort of a cultural thing it's like being part of a tribe you're you're a record collector you know yeah it's and maybe sometimes you buy things online because that's the only place you can get them but it's nice to be able to go into a store i think yeah i think just having the the product i don't know personally i I have a million records i don't listen to the half of them (laughs) (laughs) so like it's almost just having them to have them like oh this is a souvenir i have from this artist i really liked Oh man, I have so many records. I don't, I don't know what I'd do with them, but it's not like there's an aftermarket really for those so much, unless you have a super, super rare, like Beatles record or something, you know, otherwise it's just, you're, you're not going to get much for it. You'd be like surprised be- because I sold some cassettes the other day from yeah. Tooth and Nail Records. And while they're probably not that hard to find, you could probably get them on eBay every once in a while. I, I just, you know, someone had, brought her up and was like, hey, I got these cassettes and oh, I'll buy them from you. Like, mm. okay. Did they buy them in bulk or one at a time? No, they're one at a time. Yeah. So you just did it, you just through your own eBay site or where were you selling I just them did from? it. I just, I was on Facebook when I was talking to people in some group and oh, I okay. mentioned I had them and he was like, oh sure. And there, I do see people selling stuff in different uh, Facebook groups all the yeah, time. Okay. Like I guess, I guess if you're really, if you're really like super organized about it, but if you like went to Amoeba and, and they buy back product yeah you said hey i've got a box of 100 albums here from 19 the 70s they're like yeah here's 10 bucks 
Exactly. Like my <laughs> wife's uh, grandmother just passed. And before she passed, she drove over here and just dropped off all these records. And I'm like, oh, no, what's in here? <laughs> you know, like this stuff what? that no one would want to listen to. Well, it's, just, it's finding a place to put it's the problem. You know? Yeah. What do we got here? Uh, the Musical Machine, some kids album. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, that one I've never even heard of, but it's a kid's record. So yeah. What's the uh, label? What's the label? Who put it out? Uh, Candle? Yeah, it must just be a kid's label. I've never heard of it. Maybe from way back when. That may, yeah, that just, may be a, a Christian label too. It, I'm assuming it probably is. <laughs> but a uh, couple more questions before we take off. Uh, what are some revenue streams that you personally kind of are seeing artists taking advantage of that some that some other artists probably don't see? Well, well, the main things you should tap into, which some people really don't, are you, you know, join BMI or ASCAP. Mm -hmm. So you can get your songwriter performance royalties because anytime your song is played on the radio or television or the internet, it's, a, it's generating a performance. So you can, or even in videos or streaming, you can get paid for that. But you have to be, have your songs signed up with BMI or ASCAP. You know, listed, and so a lot of people don't do that. And then join Sound Exchange, which is again digital performance income, but for the master side, not for the songwriter side, for the performer, the singer, the band. There's actually a lot of money there that a lot of people never join Sound Exchange. But it, you know, it's it's digital royalty. So if you're getting played on podcasts and webcasts and SiriusXM mm -hmm. satellite radio or Pandora or whatever, but it it actually does. You'd be surprised, you know. Um, and there's things called neighboring rights, which is when your music is played in foreign territories, you have to join these neighboring rights organizations to collect it for you. A lot of people don't know about that. Um, so, you know, that's another income stream that you can take advantage of. And, and I think, you, you know, you have to be, it depends on if there's a demand for it, but if you can make merchandise, you could sell merchandise, you know, t-shirts, hats, whatever, you know, that can be pretty lucrative. But, you know, if you don't really have a following, I don't know. And you have to watch out how, you know, they have these on-demand stores too, where you can just have the graphic there. And if somebody wants to stick it on a shirt, they pay for it. Maybe the, the, maybe it's not as nice of a quality shirt, but at mm -hmm. least you don't have to worry about making a bunch of inventory that you don't know if you're going to sell it. Yeah, Which is a problem, I, you know, bands have when they go out on the road a lot of times. They're like, wow, how much, how much merch should I take out? You know, they don't know. Yeah, I had interviewed a guy named Cam from The Print Life. He, does a print, he has a print shop and he has a YouTube channel and he's hilarious. But uh, I'd asked him, Hey, what about these like one-off places? Is it would would you say a band that only needs ten T-shirts for their first gig or something go through them? And he's like, oh, absolutely. He's like, you don't want to go through me for like something super small. And you can print them on decent. They have different levels of T-shirts. It's like you're not going to make a lot of money. You're going to make like a couple dollars maybe per T-shirt. You know, once you get up to that level, selling them, you're going to definitely want to go to a print shop and get some. You know, yeah, so I guess, yeah, it depends on but to, just to, to have a little bit at the beginning or test it out. Um, yeah, it yeah. depends where you are in your career, but I, th I think merchandise can be pretty lucrative. A lot of people don't take advantage of that, or they just have one T-shirt, one black T-shirt for a guy or something. You should expand mm -hmm. the line a little bit. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks so much. Uh, I was going to ask, what made you want to write a book? <laughs> oh, um, well, I mean, you know, I've been doing this a long time, so, and a lot of, with newer artists in particular, a lot of times the same issues, same things that I discuss in the book, the 10 most common, you know, the music business and 10 easy lessons. So I tried to pick out 10 things that seemed to come up over and over again with newer artists that I was talking about. Some of the things we touched on a little bit on, on this podcast, but 
Um, and so it was, it, and just to get my name out there a little bit, it's nice to have a, a credit, you know, it's not that hard to really do a, it's a self, it's a self-published book. So it's not that hard to do that these days. You don't have to worry about trying to get it in Barnes and Noble, which yeah. is difficult, you know? So, um, so it's, you know, it's, and I'm hoping people it's, it's, as you said, you know, it's you help helpful to you. It's pretty simple. It's more like a handbook really, yeah. you know, and, and it's, it, I tried to break it down into a real simple way to easy to read, but it's, it's all important information. So I think if somebody buys that and reads it, they'll, they'll, I think they'll get a pretty good handle on the basics of the business, really. I mean, there's a lot of great books out there. Don't get me wrong. So yeah, um, it's I, not expensive for one. For two, it's very straightforward. Uh, I read Passman's book a while ago and that thing is so thick. It's, it's crazy how much. It's getting thicker. It's getting thicker. Exactly. Because I, I, have, I have the first Passman book because I've known him since he put it out. But mm. yeah, it's probably half the size of what it is now. But I mean, his book's great and it's more comprehensive, but mine's more more simplified and broken down. So yeah, I'm not, I can't, I'm not even trying to compete with Passman, but, um, <laughs> but anyway, hopefully somebody finds some value merit in, in my book and, um, and that's what it's there for. And maybe I, I might do another, it, it could be a series of some sort. Maybe I'll do another one. I'm not quite sure what's coming next on that, but, mm. and it, I'll, it's straight, I put it out two years ago now. It seems like yesterday, but the good thing about having a book like that is, I mean, there may be some things in there that I tried to make it where things wouldn't really go out of, be you know like dated you know the mm. concepts hopefully will stay the same for yeah that's more concepts and it helps uh it's very straightforward like i said for artists generally so that i know a lot of artists didn't quite understand how some of this stuff works and it's very straightforward so i really i really appreciate that um just for that that, that aspect like you said if you bought like passman's book it's very it has everything in it but you're going to get lost. Like, especially if you're an artist, you don't have any idea. So, well, yeah. So, well, so yeah. Uh, what is it? Yeah. Music business and 10 easy lessons by Ben mm -hmm. McLean. So um, if anybody wants to check that out, it's on Amazon. So you can get it as a paperback or you can get it as a, as an ebook, a Kindle ebook too. So, and I'll then put a and, link in the description, everybody. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then, and then any, you know, if anybody else needs to reach me, I mean, on, I'm on the internet, but I have a website, which is benmclean.com. B-E-N-M-C-L-A-N-E.com. So pretty much everything else you'd need to know about me is there and how to reach us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and anything else that you, you needed yeah. to ask that you, you did? found you a while ago. Oh, no, I, uh, I found you a while ago, like on, I don't, I don't know if it was on YouTube or something. I came across some video you were in and I was like, oh, wow. It's actually a music, at, like a guy, attorney guy that actually is on YouTube. Like I, I, it's really weird that there's not somebody out there that really does it. Yeah, well, there's, I don't, I mean, I try to speak you know, as in many places. If somebody invites you know, me, just like it's you. Good I, for you to be out, actually be out there. I'd encourage, encourage you to do some more videos. Yeah, well, thank you for inviting me to do this. I mean, if somebody invites me to do something, I'll usually show up. Um, um, you know, it, it's possible to maybe do, I might have some kind of video series in the future. It's just hard, just like you, you know, you want to make sure you do it right and organized and it's interesting to people. And I think a lot of times the law can get super boring, you know? So it's almost like you'd probably need to bring guests, <laughs> guests on, guests on and stuff like, Oh, I work with this artist and they may want to drop in and mm. talk about it, you know, as a, cause I think just going over legality sometimes gets boring and I'm not like a, I'm not like a professional actor or anything. So. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Sorry, neither am I. And I've done a lot of these. And definitely, if you don't have someone to talk to, it's real weird. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise, it's just like, hey, today the topic is record contracts. And yes, I could go through yeah. it and probably give interesting information to an extent. But then I don't really know. I, I just I found, you know, it's just like, hey, if you're competing with the Kardashians, their numbers are out. It's like, you know, it's hard to develop an audience just doing it like a normal way without some kind of like pizzazz or some kind of celebrity tie-in or something, you know? <laughs> Very nice. Well, thanks so much for coming on, especially like it was, I you know, messaged you and you came on like real quick, like, oh, wow, I was expecting this to be like far in the future if this happened at all. But hey, I appreciate this, man. Yeah. Well, I'm glad, like you said, on Thursdays, at least until things get back to normal, that's my that's my office day. So that's the best place to do these kind of things. So I thought maybe you'd be available today. So thank you for, for filling me in, slotting me in. Oh, no worries. I got nothing to do. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay, Joshua, if you need anything else, let me know. And, and thank you, everybody. Absolutely. I'll definitely give you a call once we get something rolling, all right? Okay. Good luck with the label. Thank Bye-bye. You. Bye.